Today's scripture reading is Psalm 25, verses 1 through 15, which can be found on page 545 in your pew Bibles. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. But they, will be, but they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are my God and Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. He will spend his days in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. This is the word of the Lord. If this is perhaps the first Sunday at Knox for you, or if you've missed the past couple of Sundays, we are in the middle of a a, a preaching series on the Psalms, and we are looking at how the Psalms teach us to pray, how to answer God, how to respond to the God who reveals himself to us. And I don't know about you, but I was so glad for the Psalms and so glad for Pastor Paul Johansson's message from last week, because it was just like a gift of God to prepare us for the events of this week that we saw splashed across all our news feeds. This beautiful psalm of lament of bringing all of our tears and our troubles to God. It just, it's what we needed to enter this week. And let's take a moment to pray that today's psalm would also equip us for this coming week. Join me in prayer. Gracious God, thank you for the beauty for the wisdom, for the reality that we meet in these psalms. They are real, they're earthy, they're connected to real life. And we pray that today, once again, your Holy Spirit would prepare us to hear. So open our hearts, God, so that we might know what it is you're speaking, how you're equipping us to live, to respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I spent about 21 years of my life on either side of the Rocky Mountains, in Vancouver, then in Calgary. I love mountains. And any day I can get into the mountains, and and not, you know, from a distance, not, oh, there they are in the distance, nice sort of postcard. No, if I can get in, I'm a skier or a hiker, and if I can get into the mountains, that's a good day. My wife doesn't understand my strange fascination with mountains because she knows mountains have a fierce indifference to your life. Uh, The mountains can kill you a hundred ways and not really care. Um, And so people who who live 
and experience the wilderness, the mountains, have, have compiled uh, a compendium of wilderness wisdom, how you are going to survive in the mountainscapes in the wilderness. And one of the, the, probably the most basic piece of wilderness wisdom, it's so simple, and it's this. Whenever you get lost, whenever you've lost your way, stay put. Get found. Because what you need at that moment, if, you, if you're going to continue to walk about, you're just going to die faster. That's essentially, the heart of the wisdom is, what you need is not a map. What you need is a guide. You need someone to find you, to rescue you, and bring you back to the path of life. This is a piece of wisdom, not just for mountaineers. This is a piece of wisdom for living, for life. Because the truth is, we get lost in life often. And when we've lost our way, what we need most is to be found by someone who can then put us back on the path to life. We live in a world where it is really easy to get lost. I, never before have we had so many complex options and choices available to us. And the complexity and the sheer amount of those is often overwhelming to us. Think of, I mean, and it's across life. It starts from the very moment you get up. Think of your morning coffee. Do you know all the choices you face when you walk into a coffee shop? How many choices you have to make just to make to buy one coffee. So is it going to be a tall, a grande, a vente, you know? Coffee? Is it going to be a, a brewed coffee, a pour over, a cold brew? Is it going to be a macchiato, a latte, an espresso? Is it going to be double shot, single shot, extra foam, a pump of flavor, perhaps extra hot, no foam, half sweetener? Which sweetener? You want room for milk? And if so, is it going to be milk? Is it going to be 1% whole milk, skim milk, soy milk, cream? Just for your morning coffee. Someone did all the permutations and combinations that you face, for instance, at a Starbucks. 80,000. <laughs> 80,000 options you have just to decide on a cup of coffee. And that's just a morning cup of coffee. And all the other options and, and decisions we need to make are much bigger than that. About careers, about professions, about relationships, about the number of children we're going to have, about the decision perhaps not to have children, about where we live, how we live, who we're going to live life with. We're immersed in these choices, and each option is like a door that leads you down a specific path, and each choice has implications and consequences. So when you walk through door number one, that means the path of door number two and number three and number four and whatever other options are available are no longer available to you. Something has been set in motion, and so you go down the path of door number one, which leads to a series of more options and more choices, and all these choices available to us have implications. They're a luxurious freedom. Realize that, right? We live in a world, in a culture of options. Many in our world don't have that, and in previous eras don't have that, but that luxurious freedom can feel like stress to a lot of people, to most people. In our society, it's producing a profound anxiety, a paralysis. There's even a name for it, FOMO. You ever hear of that? Fear of missing out. You don't want to miss out on any of all the possible options available to you. And it creates this sense of paralysis. You delay actually engaging in life because you're stuck with anxiety. You're stuck of, you might miss out. 
And so anxiety and fear it just fills you because you want to control all the contingencies available to you. And we don't like the idea of someone else telling us what to do or rearranging life for us. We want to control things. We want to be in control. But here's the problem with that. We don't know what's best. We hardly know ourselves, right? We hardly know our own heart about what it takes to cause the flourishing in our own lives. But then think about all our choices and decisions which impact others around us, our friends, our family, the choices we make that impact our larger world. Think of the butterfly effect of causation behind one of your choices, the impact it makes on you, whatever children you might have, on the career choices, on the environment. And when you begin to track that out, the neurons in your head just start exploding and you get weighed down with this anxiety as you try to control and manage all the contingencies. And you realize we just don't have the capacity to know all this, to know how all these pieces fit together. It's just beyond us. And so we seek out guidance. We know we need a better wisdom. All of us do that. We look for some guidance somewhere in our life, whether you're a believer in God or not. For Christians, they look to God and they pray prayers for guidance. It's one of the most human things to do. Praying to God for, for guidance is extremely important part of experiencing God. How, how can you know God is leading you, guiding your life? This is very important to people. And that's what we're going to look at today because this psalm is all about this profound trust in God to guide our lives. But before we dive into the psalm, I, I want to set up some perspective for this because it's really fascinating. Up until about 75 years ago, the whole notion of trying to know the will of God, seeking the will of God, do you know it wasn't even on the radar of Christians? It wasn't even a question Christians asked. Um, and it's an important question we ask, right? We ask all these big questions about what does God think about my decisions about career, marriage, where we want to go? And it's important because, you know, many of us are at this wet cement stage of life where there's a lot that's still fluid. And so I get the desire to ask those questions. But for centuries, followers of Jesus never asked that question. It's a fairly new concern. It's okay for us to ask those modern questions to Scripture, but I just want to put that into perspective. Um, but this passage we have is a rich passage on how God guides. The psalm is packed with the beautiful promise of God's guidance. Did you hear it repeated so many times? God instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble. He instructs them in the ways that they should go. Oh, these are promises are like water for parched hikers lost in the wilderness. It's telling us life is not a series of random events. There's purpose in this universe. There's meaning to the trajectory of your life. There's direction to it. I always love, there's a scene from the Lord of the Rings. I, I reference Lord of the Rings often because it's just a great piece of fiction. There's a wonderful scene in the movie in the Lord of the Rings where the Fellowship of the Ring, they're stuck in the mines of Moria. I don't know if you've seen it or read the books. They're completely lost in this dark place. They don't know which way to turn and they're all just sort of sitting. They, they've done the good, wise thing. They've stopped. Um, and the hobbit Frodo is in this moment of despair. He's carrying this great ring of power. And, and he, he says, I wish this never happened. I wish this ring never came to me. 
And then the wise wizard Gandalf reminds Frodo and he says, there are other forces at work in this world, Frodo, besides the will of evil. Bilbo was meant to find the ring, in which case you were meant to have it. And that is an encouraging thought, he says. God's promise of guidance tells us whatever circumstances our life find ourselves in, they are not without meaning. Maybe you can't see it now. Maybe you can't understand. Maybe it feels like the depths of the mines of Moria. But know this, your life is not a victim of blind chance or circumstances. Your life is part of a bigger story that God is guiding us in. And so we can pray for this good gift of guidance. Now this prayer, this psalm, is a very nuanced prayer for guidance. It's interesting. David is not trying to get information from God. Isn't that how we often pray for guidance? God, give me, I don't know, decision about this next step. Give me information, God, that I can use to make my life work better. But here's the thing. God is a relational God, and he gives us himself. That's the gift of guidance he gives. He invites us into a relationship of trust with him. The question in guidance prayers is not seeking God's will, but it is about becoming a guidable person. It's about someone who's able to yield their life to God's ways. Here's the core teaching of this psalm on guidance prayers. The wisdom of the world for a world lost in a sea of choices and option and confusion is this. You don't need guidance. You need a guide. We don't need a map because you know what? We wouldn't even understand the map. The map would be too overwhelming. It would be like giving a grade one or a university text on physics. I mean, it would just be totally lost to them. We don't need a map. We need a guide who can guide us step by step to all the points and places we need to be. We need this guide. And so as we talk about a prayer for guidance, the Bible teaches us guidance is not something God gives, it's something he does for you. God does guide our lives, and he does call us then to become the kind of person who can be guided. And until you get that, you're going to get really frustrated praying for guidance. David here is praying that he might become a person who's capable of being guided. So you ask, what does a guided person look like? What does a yielded life look like? There's a few things in this text that are important. There's a few things in this text that have to be true for you and I to receive the hope of God's guidance. First of all, start in verse 4. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth. For you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. The psalmist is saying, God, saturate me in your ways, in your commands. Show me your ways. I'm not asking you about my way, God. Show me your ways, your paths, your truth. Here's the thing. God has shown us the path to life. It is is this revealed will of God, this this word of God, the law of God, the promises of God, all the summons of God. The psalmist is saying, I want to know that, God. I want to know all those things. Would you teach me? Would you saturate me in that? We so often ask God about our ways and ask for guidance for our ways. But the assumption in that is that God's divine guidance is sort of hard to find, inaccessible, it's secret. But that's not the case. The wisdom of God is available to us. 
He's shown us the path to life. And the first step to a guided life is, to us, is for us to know God's ways. And I know you're going to think, oh, seriously, come on. You're just taking the easy way out here, Phil. No, and I know you don't want to hear this, but this, we're all looking for the magic bullet, right, to know God's will for our lives. That's just not a part of the deal here. The first step always in a guided life is the ability, the capacity to perceive what God has shown to know the good from the bad, the wise from the foolish. The person who gets guided is the person who over a long period of time, because of their saturation in the word of God, has grown up with wisdom so that they have the capacity to know and make distinctions and wise decisions. This is a thing I know we don't want to hear. We like the quick answer, but this, this is just the way it starts. This is the way it happens. It's sort of like learning a language. Um, my kids are learning French in school. It's pretty rudimentary. Um, they start with just verb declensions, you know, and when you learn a language, you learn vocabulary. Maybe you can muster a little conversational French. Um, do they know French? Yeah, not really, no. You know what? They don't know idioms. They don't get jokes that play out in French. They need a lifelong fine-tuned capacity, a trained faculty in the language. You want to know how to make decisions for your life? You want to know how to tell the good from the bad, the wise from the foolish. The first thing we read is, teach me your ways, God. Show me your past. Guide me in your truth. Teach me. That's the first thing. Saturate me, God, in your word, in your ways. Secondly, however, there has to be a humility or a readiness to obey what God shows you. And here we, see, we read, the psalmist says, Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. Oh God, I used to be pretty rebellious. Don't, please, don't remember this. But good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them in his way. This is a really honest admission of, of the ways that the psalmist has previously disregarded, disobeyed God. And then that's combined with a, a prayer for guidance. And those two are pretty connected. God has already laid out his ways, but we're not even following it. We're not even listening to it often. And if we pray for guidance, it's like, do you really want it? Are you just going to treat it like you did before? So he says, oh God, I used to treat it like just chaff, like not the wisdom of the world. Forgive me for that. I, I come in humility now, God. I, want, I will obey. I will follow. Show me your ways. A guidable person is someone who's ready to obey, ready to live out and walk this path God gives. My wife is a, a marriage and family therapist, one of the many things she does. And, and if, if you've ever been to a counselor, often in counseling situations, the wisdom and guidance that's given is never received, never lived out. Even if it was going to bring that person or that relationship to life, because it's hard. That's one of the strange things. People go for counsel, but because it challenges them in some profound way, because it counters their view, their understanding of who they are, they never live it out, even if it could heal their hearts and restore relationships. When we're offered guidance, we need to ask ourselves, what, what, what do we want? Do we actually want God's guidance? Or are we just looking for some easier way of life, some confirmation about the way we're now living? 
Seriously, look at your lives now. Is there an area of your life where you're not obeying God? If, if you haven't yielded yourself to the ways of God where it's clear, where God showed himself, why should you expect guidance anywhere else? I told you, you weren't going to like some of this stuff. Do you have a God who can counter your cherished understandings, who can challenge your worldview? Will you follow and obey God, even if it leads to places you don't understand? It's still going to be a good place, but you may not be able to put all the pieces yet together. But people say, well, how can I trust God? How, you know, how can I trust what God says in the Bible? It feels so dated, so socially regressive. This is a big issue for a lot of people. And the issue is, will you allow an external authority to shape your thinking, your believing? If you don't, what happens is you end up with the God of your own making. If you don't trust the Bible enough to let it challenge your thinking about God, how do you ever think you're going to have an actual relationship with the guide, with God? I mean, in any authentic relationship, there is this capacity to counter someone. To say, no, 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 that's wrong, or I don't like that about you. The other person has to have the ability to challenge, to contradict you. But so often we don't want a God who does that. We want what someone once called a Stepford God. You remember the book or the movie, The Stepford Wives? In the story, the husbands of Stepford, Connecticut, um, decide to have all their wives turned into robots, perfectly compliant women who never cross the wills of their husband. They do whatever their husband wishes. That sort of relationship could never be described as personally authentic. Right? That's a robot you're dealing with. And yet so often we do the same with ultimate reality with God. We want to create a step for God. A God of our own making. A God who will never challenge us. Never contradict us. Who will just always confirm our own biases. Our own assumptions. But that will never be a God, a real God, a God who can actually guide you, this God. Which is why guidable people root their view of ultimate reality in the Bible and they allow all the hard edges of the Bible to challenge, to form them, to shape them. See, only if your God, if your view of God can anger you, and challenge you and make you struggle where you know you've gotten hold of a real God. So, guidable people saturate themselves with this word of God, with the ways of God, even when it challenges them, and they are ready to obey God, to follow him. There is this humility. In verse 9, it talks about that. God guides the humble into what is right. I love that. The word humble it, it, it means teachable. It doesn't mean sort of groveling, you know, okay, God, I'll do whatever, you know, because you've got a hammer over my head. It's not having this low sense of yourself. It's rather someone who willingly yields themselves to another, a person who listens, who obeys, who's teachable. And the goodness of this is God's guidance is he never dispenses with this in the abstract. The context is always this personal, this relational, always this relationship of trust, which only makes sense, doesn't it? Because you, I, I'm, across the board, we never accept the advice on important matters of our life from any random individual. It requires a, a relationship, a context of trust. 
We need that to actually trust this person. God's guidance is not merely a tool, sort of like a GPS, and it's like, hey, go make your life. No, no, God is relationally guides us himself. He gives us himself this relationship of trust. So if you want to know guidance in your life, get to know the guide. Look at how this prayer talks about God. Look at his character. It says he's trustworthy. He's a good guide. Verse 3, no one who ever hopes in you will ever be put to shame. Guide me in your paths, for you are God, my Savior. When you are lost, God is your rescuer. Your great mercy and love are from old. They are tried and tested and true. You can bank on that mercy and love. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners. It's because of God's goodness, because of this integrity, this integrated part of God, who God is, that he guides even sinners, even people who blow it. I love that. Look at that. He instructs sinners. So often we get paralyzed in our decision-making process because we think, oh man, if I'm going to make one bad choice, boom, life is over, right? I have missed God's plan A. It's just plan B. It's all downhill from there. No, no, no. God instructs sinners in his ways. Look at the Bible. The Bible's filled with people who make colossally horrible mistakes, bad choices, wrong decisions, hurtful choices. Think of Jacob. You know, Jacob, he lies, he cheats. But what does God do? God brings him the love of his life, his wife Rachel. And from them, they have a child who is the forebearer of Jesus, the Savior of the world. Look at verse 10. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. For those who keep the demands of his covenant. The wonder of that, it, it's, that, that verse is an echo of, of something that the New Testament talks about. Romans 8 verse 28 where it says, All things work together for the good of those that love God. All your ways, God. Somehow God weaves together all of our choices, all of our mixed motives, all the directions and, and bends them toward the good purposes he has. When we think of guidance, we often have a very tiny, narrow view of God. We somehow think that God's plan for us is that, you know, he's got these five or six sequential things. And if you miss out on that first one, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, game over. The rest of your life is sort of a, yeah, plan B. You know, you have to get into the right career. You've got to get into the right school. And if you do one wrong thing, oh my goodness, if you marry the wrong person, what if you go to the wrong school? What if you do something you realize you've missed it? But that's not God. And here, here's the beautiful fruit of this. You can relax. All that anxiety that gets worked up with all these choices, all that stress, the truth about God just says, okay, take a breath, relax. We don't have to fear. We don't have to get stressed out because God is guiding our life. That is a promise. God is gathering together, using even all those things that look so beyond redemption, even those decisions of your life. None of that puts you beyond God's grace, beyond his kindness and loving purposes. And some of you might think, how on earth can you say that? How can you be sure? I know this. I'm sure of this because of one thing, because of the love of God in Jesus Christ, because of Christ's death on the cross, that demonstration of God's love for you and I. We now know there is nothing in this world that can separate us from that love of God. 
Romans 8 talks about that. For I am convinced that there is neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything, which means not even one of your bad choices. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You can't even choose your way outside of God's love. So relax. Relax. If God wants you to be a plumber or a Bay Street banker or an author, you're not going to be able to miss it. C.S. Lewis captures this so nicely. He says, God uses all the wrong roads to get us to the right places. Can you sense the freedom in this? That I hope you're breathing easy, knowing God has promised to lead your life into a future of good hope. There's nothing that can, you choose that can put you outside of his care and love. And so what that does is you are freed up to make the best choices for your life without fear that your very future or your soul is on the line every time. You can trust the guide. You can trust God. Here's the good news, friends, that this psalm captures for us as we pray for guidance for our lives. We will face forks in the road, absolutely. And every fork, you know it, it leads to another fork in the road. But here's the beautiful thing. Every road belongs to God. And the challenge for us is not so much to choose the correct fork, but it is to learn to walk with the Savior who can use any road to bring us home. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this beautiful good news. Thank you, God, that there is a good shepherd who will seek out even the lost sheep, finding them, bringing them back. Thank you, Jesus, that that is you, and you are the one leading our lives. We praise you for the goodness of that. May that give us all a profound sense of relief, of freedom, to take the life that you've given to us and live it to your glory, using all the circumstances and skills that you've placed in us for your glory and for the goodness of others. Lead us, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Right now, we're going to hear a song sung. It's a beautiful song about how the Savior leads us, and it's simply a time for you to meditate, for you to pray, for you to absorb this beautiful reality. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt His faithful mercies Who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divine is comfort Here by faith in Him to dwell for I know whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. All of the way my Savior leads me, 
and he cheers each winding path I tread gives me strength for every trial feeds me with the living bread and though my weary steps may falter and my soul athirst may be gushing from a rock before me lo a spirit joy i see and all the way my savior leads me oh the fullness of his love perfect rest in me is promised in my father's house above and when my spirit clothed immortal wings its flight to realms of day this my song through endless ages jesus led me all the way Join me in prayer, would you? Heavenly Father, thank you for the beautiful, rich promise of your guidance. How we do need that, God, because we live in a world that is filled with confusion, with things that don't make sense. And we do pray for this confused, terrorized world. God, we pray for places like Baghdad and Beirut and Paris where violence has erupted, where people drunk with hatred, fueled by ideas that are just bad, that make no sense at all, have disrupted shalom and well-being. And our hearts grieve for that. We know, God, this is just so out of sync with how things should be. And so we pray, God, for healing for those threads of trust to be rewoven in the fabric that has just been ripped apart in those places. We ask God for the families of those who have been killed, who grieve so deeply. God, we pray that you would protect them from hatred. Would you move them in time, God, towards forgiveness, but in this place of deep, profound grief, would you carry them? Would you show such tender mercy and grace to the gaping wounds of grief that they have? We pray for all the enemies of peace, God, people who seek by some, some agenda we don't understand or get. We pray for those enemies that you would bless them, just as Jesus called us to. We pray that we would seek out their good. We pray, Father, for a spirit of regret and repentance to enter their hearts. We pray, God, that you would lead them, you would soften hearts, and that you would help them to see peace as a better way. God, we pray for world leaders now who enter into this very, very tender time, and we pray for a wisdom beyond themselves. 
We ask you, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, would guide all deliberations and decisions at every governmental level to bring about a peace in this world, that would bring about um, a response to the situation that is fitting, that is appropriate, but that would further the purposes of your kingdom in this world. Bless this broken but beautiful world, this beautiful, horrible place we call home. We pray, God, for our church family. We pray for those who are experiencing death in their lives. For Failing Park and Alberta Akron, we ask that your grace would surround them. We pray for Don Scott as he fights pneumonia. God, we pray for swift healing and restoration of his body. Be near to him. Continue to encourage him. And we pray for us, God, for all the different ways we need your guidance. Lead us, God. Give us a profound sense of trust that you are doing just that. And perhaps, God, if there are people today who, who have longed for that sort of guidance, for, that, for knowing that there is a greater purpose, meaning in their life, we pray that they would turn to you, the good guide. And embrace you as the guide of their life. Show them your goodness. Show them that your purposes are to cause flourishing. Never to harm, but only to bring healing and life. We thank you that this is the promise we can trust in you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.